Well, we're so glad you're here today. My name is Bobby, and I am privileged to get to serve as part of the team here. I love getting to share the platform with Pastor Chuck and Pastor Tripp and just all that God's doing here at the church. And today, honestly, this is a big topic, right? This is one of those important, I think, messages for all of us, because as you see on the screen, it's called How to Make a Comeback. Now, can we just all be honest and admit it on the front end? We've all made huge mistakes. Anybody not afraid to admit that? We've all, yeah, look at that, look at that. We've all done it, right? We all have things that we wish we could take back. We all have things that we wish we could redo. And so uh, some of the dumbest things that I ever did was when I was in high school. I don't know if that's true for you guys, but yes, there's a few hearty amens on that one. But certainly true for me. So I remember when I test drove the first car I wanted to buy. So one of my friends of a friend had this car that I wanted to drive, uh, test drive. The problem is it was a stick shift, and I had never actually driven a car that was a stick shift. Now, I'd grown up driving, uh, riding dirt bikes, so I knew, you know, in dirt bikes you have to shift gears and all that. So I knew in theory how to do it, but it's a little bit different kind of feel when you actually have to transfer that knowledge into a car and so when i went to pick up the car to test drive it they trusted me because i was really good friends uh, with one of their family members so they trusted me so finally i i got away with the car i thought what am i going to do so i drove it by my friend's work and so i drove it by his work and he came outside and he knew about this car he was a car dude and so he came out and he he jumped in the passenger seat and he was like let's see what she'll do that should have been red flag number one, right? Let's see what she'll do. And so I felt the pressure of being Mr. Cool, so we went to the back of the parking lot. So we wanted to do was to spin out. And so being a stick shift, I put in the clutch, I revved it up, rev, 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 popped the clutch, and the call, car stalled out. And so he starts egging me on even more. Come on, come on, come on, let's see what she'll do, let's see what she'll do. So I crank it back up, I do the same thing again, clutch in, revving it up, rev, 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 pop the clutch, and stalled out again. And so he's like really giving me a hard time, man. He's like, you should do it, see what she'll do, come on, come on, come on, come on. So finally the third time I crank it up, rev it up, rev it up, rev it up, pop the clutch, floor the gas, and this time instead of stalling out, the tires start spinning. I was like, this is awesome, this is great, until the tires actually caught, and the car lurches forward, and I realized the direction we're actually going is towards a nine-foot ditch. And so I start turning the wheel, turning the wheel. Apparently, I wasn't bright enough to take my foot off the gas. I don't know why. (laughs) I grew up in Mississippi, so there's there's a reason for that, I guess. Yeah, that ain't, yeah. So I start turning the wheel, so I missed going into the ditch, but the left tire jumped the curb, and so we didn't go into the ditch, but we came within probably three or four inches of this giant power pole with a metal bracket on it that scratched all the way down the side of this car. And so finally, about that time, I realized, oh yeah, take the foot off the gas. And so I pull into the parking space. I'm like shaking, 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 shaking. These uh, guys that were in the parking lot that saw the whole thing asked my buddy, is he on drugs or something, right? I mean, it was, it was, it was terrible. And my buddy, being the good friend he was, went from being the guy that talked me into it. Hey, let's see what she'll do. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great to you're in big trouble now. And he took off. Have y'all been there before? Have you been there, right? We've been in those moments where we thought something was a great idea, 
probably somebody encouraged us and said it was going to be awesome and then the moment you do it you're like man i should not have done that and the truth is this morning a lot of folks that i've talked to have been in that place where what begins to happen that if we're not careful that's what the enemy does to us the enemy tries to tempt us the enemy tries to tell us hey you should do this thing you should go to this place you can get away with it it's not a big deal and the enemy plants that seed in our mind that says maybe you'd be happier doing this maybe you could get away with it maybe everybody else has done this and then the moment you've done it the enemy goes from being the person that instigates it to being the person that begins to place doubt and points accusations at you. And the question is, can I make a comeback? I mean, there's folks that I talk to on a weekly basis around here that wonder, man, can God actually forgive me? They wonder that, they wrestle with that as, man, is this relentless love of God that Zach and the team saying about, is that true? Could God love me? And then then, and could he forgive me? And then the second question of that, can I learn to forgive myself? Because there's some people that replay and replay and they replay the stuff that's happened in their past and mistakes that they can't undo. And they're not even sure if they could even learn to forgive themselves because we've all done things in our past that we're not, a, that we're not proud of. And I talked to some folks that, man, they, they made some physical and some sexual decisions when they were growing up. And they're like, man, I, I, I wish I could undo that. I wish I could go back. I wish I could do that over again. I meet some folks that are getting ready to get married. And they're like, man, I really want to have a great marriage. I want it to be amazing, but I don't even know if I deserve it. I meet some folks that, man, they, they, they're, they're afraid. Well, what if somebody finds out? And what if somebody, and they have this thing going on in their past. They have this thing that's pulling them in the wrong direction. And this morning, what I want to say is we can have a comeback. That the best days can still be in front of us. That, that in front of us is God's opportunity because as you look at Scripture, as you look at the men and women that God used throughout the Bible, here's what you learn. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. See, David is one of these guys that David had blown it. Even if you're new around church, you've probably heard of Team David. And David's a guy that had a heart after God. He was, uh, he was an, uh, appointed by God himself to be the king. And yet there came this low point in his life where he did something he never thought he would do. He ended up committing adultery. He ended up going through the season of disconnection. He went through, the, eventually led to murder. And it got to the point where in Psalm 51, he says, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. He's like this sin, this thing, this failure, this past thing that I did, it's in front of me and God against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Some of us feel that way today. I talked to somebody not long ago, they're like, man, I want to mentor, I want to sign up, I want to help somebody, but I don't know if I'm disqualified, I don't know if I can. I talked to somebody else this week that's, that was like, man, I want to make a difference, but I don't know if I can make a difference after all I've done. And what ends up happening is their past keeps following them. And what I believe this morning is that God wants you to make a comeback. I believe that God looks at every single 
person in this room, and in this morning, he's not looking and saying, ah, I can't use you. He's not looking and saying, there's no chance. When God looks down at you, I believe God wants you, he wants me to be people of a comeback. So if it's okay, I would love to pray for us this morning. And then uh, if you're up for it, I just want to lean into this for the next couple minutes because I believe there's some people that need to see the comeback today. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder of your unending love, your grace that's on top of grace. God, give us ears that can hear your voice and your heart today. Give us hearts that have the courage to obey you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, if you have a Bible or if you have an app, uh, in a few minutes, I want to look at Psalm 51. It's a psalm written by David. Now, I don't know if you know David's story, but David was just a teenager when he found out he was going to be the next king of Israel. God had anointed him to be the next king. God sent a prophet guy to find him, to anoint him, to say, you're going to be the next king of Israel. And the problem with it was uh, nobody saw it coming. David's own dad didn't even see it. When, when, when the prophet said, bring me out your sons, he left David out in the field somewhere because he's like, surely it's not going to be David. But God reminded Samuel, he said, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so one of the things that God said about David is he has a ma- he's a man after God's own heart. Well, fast forward, what happens is he eventually becomes the king, and he's a great king. Everybody loves him. His popularity grows and grows and grows, but there comes a moment where he got arrogant. There comes a moment where he got cocky. There's a moment that he got too comfortable, and he ends up doing something that he never thought he would do. And so if you've got something to write on, something to write with, I want to give you just a description from David's life of how to have this kind of comeback. And the first thing that I want you to get this morning is, number one, we've got to be alert to our capacity of blowing it. We've got to be alert to our capacity of blowing it. Every single one of us has the, has the capability, we have the capacity of doing something that we never thought we'd ever do. Now, honestly, that's not the positive first point to start the message with, is it? Nobody's going to be like, man, that was so great. Sunday morning was so encouraging. We're all going to blow it. Hashtag Sugar Hill Church. Hashtag welcome home. Nobody's doing that, right? That is not going to be the next t-shirt at the store. You see what I'm saying? But here's what happens for David. David was blind to the fact that he could blow it. In fact, if you're taking notes or if you want to write this down, the background to Psalm 51 is 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. Now, we don't have time to unpack all of this, so let me just give you a taste of it. Here's what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war. So this is a statement that says this is the normal thing. This is what happens. There's a time of the year that kings go to war, and then here's what it goes on to say. And David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. So David's like, I've got this commander, Joab, I'm going to send him out. And it says, and they destroy the Ammonites and they besiege Rabbah. Listen to this last phrase in verse 1. But David, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now at first you're like, that's not a big deal. At first it's like, that's not a big thing. But here's the thing for David. David's popularity had grown. David had become a pretty competent king. He was a competent ruler. Everybody liked him. And there comes this moment where he should have been off at battle. That's where he should have been. 
There comes this moment where he should have been with his armies. That was his job. There comes this moment where he, he was supposed to be somewhere else, and yet he decides, I'm the king, I'm the man, I'm the one in charge. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to stay back for a little while. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm the king. Well, what eventually happens in 2 Samuel 11 is there comes a moment that David can't sleep. I guess in the Old Testament, they don't have NyQuil yet, so he, doesn't, he can't take that. And so he's up on the top of his palace, walking around at night, unable to sleep. And he looks down, and he sees this gorgeous woman named Bathsheba. And he's like, I, and she's taking a bath, and he's like, I want to meet her. And so he asks his little crew around him, hey, who's, who's this woman? Who, who's this woman? And I think, honestly, they're a little afraid just to call him out on it. I think they were probably a little nervous. Hey, he's the king. He's the most powerful man in the land. I, we can't call him out, but I think they tried to hint to him. I think they tried to drop little hints, innuendos in there. So when he asked, hey, who's this woman? Who's this gorgeous woman that I just saw? Their response is, oh, isn't that Bathsheba? Isn't that Uriah's wife? You hear the hint in there? Isn't that Uriah's wife? And David says, bring her to me. And I don't know if David intended to do all that he did. I don't, maybe he thought it was, hey, it's not a big deal. Her husband's off at battle. He's at war. She's here lonely. I'm the king. I'm the man. Maybe I'll just have her over for dinner. Not a big deal. I mean, it's, it's not like uh, anything's going to happen. We're just going to have a meal. We're just going to uh, enjoy each other's company. But if you know the story, one thing leads to another, and he ends up sleeping with her. And David decides, hey, I'm just going to cover this up. No big deal. I mean, her husband's off at battle. Nobody's going to know what happened. Not a big deal. I didn't intend to do it. I, I, it wasn't a, not a big deal. But the problem is she goes back home, and a little while later, she sends back word, and she says, David, by the way, I'm pregnant. And so David, again, is trying to figure out, how do I cover this up? Because in the Old Testament, they know how to count nine months just like we do. And so if they put the math together, her husband's been off at battle. And so if they find out she's pregnant and her husband's been off at battle for X number of months, it's not his child. And so David, instead of coming clean, says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring her husband home from battle. So he does that. He brings Uriah home from battle. He has this massive meal for Uriah. He wines and dines him really well. And David thinks, all right, here's what I'm going to do. This guy's been at battle. He's been living in uh, foxholes with a bunch of smelly other guys. So if I bring him home, clean him up, and send him home, surely he'll want to be with his wife. And then when people find out that she's pregnant, they'll assume it's her husband's child. So if you know how the story unfolds in 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, Uriah decides, I can't do that. So he comes to the palace, he gets wined and dined. David sends him home, says, go be with your wife. But the next morning, David finds out Uriah didn't go home. Instead, he slept on the doorstep of the palace. And when asked about it, he said, who am I to go home and be with my wife when my fellow soldiers are off at battle? So David starts wigging out. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? He didn't go home. He didn't sleep with her, so I can't cover this up. And so he tries a second time. So the second night, he has him back in the palace. He wines and dines him. He says, all right, here's what I want you to do. You're going back to battle soon, but before you go back to battle, I'm going to send you home to be with your wife Bathsheba. Enjoy your time at home. Then you're going back to battle. And David assumes he's going to go home. He assumes he's going to sleep with his wife. He assumes that he's going to cover it up. But again, the second time, he won't do it. He sleeps on the doorstep of the palace. 
so David's like, what am I going to do? How am I going to cover this up? So finally, he writes a letter to the commander of the army. He says to Joab, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into the fiercest part of the battle. I want you to put Uriah in the front part of the battle. And the moment that the battle is raging the worst, I want you to pull everybody else back so that Uriah dies in the battle. So he writes this letter. He rolls it up. He seals it with wax, stamps it with the king's ring, and then he hands it to Uriah himself. Uriah has no idea what's inside of this letter. He has no idea that he's delivering his own death warrant. So he goes back to battle. He gives it to the commander. He says, Joab, hey, the king sent this for you. Joab reads this letter. And when he reads it, he's like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know why David wants this to happen. But he's the king, so I'm going to do whatever he says. And so he does it. He puts Uriah on the front line of the battle. He waits till the battle's raging the most fierce and he pulls everybody else back and Uriah dies in battle and so he sends this messenger back to David and this messenger rushes back and comes to David and says David you're not going to believe what happened today but we lost in the battle today and David got angry he's like what do you mean we lost in battle and at just the right time the messenger says oh and by the way Uriah died in the battle and in that moment David thinks I got away with it in that moment, David thinks, now when people find out she's pregnant, they're gonna, not going to know that he didn't go home and sleep with his wife. They're going to assume that it's his child. David thinks he got away with it. He thinks, I, I, I'm too big for this. I'm too smart. There's no way anybody's going to find out until about a year later. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, this guy named Nathan, who's a prophet, shows up and says, David, I've got a story I've got to tell you. There are these two guys that live next door to each other. One guy has plenty. I mean, he's got unbelievable resources. He's got everything he could ever want. He lives in a nice place. He's got lots of animals. He's got everything that he could want or need. But his neighbor barely has anything. His neighbor only has one little lamb, and this lamb is not like an animal to him. This lamb is like a family member to him. This is all he has. But when the rich guy had some people over and the rich guy threw a party, instead of taking from one of his many animals to feed them, he took the one lamb that his poor neighbor had. He took everything that he had. And in that moment, David got angry. In that moment, his, his face turns red and he shoots up from the throne and he yells, that man must surely die. Nathan turns back to him and says, David, you're that man. You're the man. You're the guy that had plenty. You're the guy that had it going on. You're the guy that had everything that you could ever need. And there's this one guy named Uriah who only has one thing in his whole life that he cares about, his wife, and you took what he had. And in that moment, it's like David, something broke inside of him where he saw it's always been him. Man, I've always had the capacity. I've always been, I've, it's always been there. And man, if we're going to make a comeback, it starts with that realization. Because here's what I've seen so often in our lives is that oftentimes we blow it when we have an undetected weakness in our life. 
and it gets coupled with an unexpected opportunity. That's when we are, that, that's when it, we're primed for failing, when we're primed for blowing it, when we've got an undetected weakness, this area we think, I would never fail, I would never do that, I would, I would never go that far. Whenever you've got an undetected weakness and an unexpected opportunity, any one of us can blow it. I heard years ago, probably when I was in middle school, where a preacher said, a sin will always take you further than you're willing to go. I don't think David intended to go all the way to murder. Hey, it's just going to be one night. I, I don't even know if he, he planned on sleeping. It's not going to be a big deal. Just a meal. It'll take us further than we're willing to go. It will keep us longer than we're willing to stay. It becomes a high drama moment. It becomes this thing that sucks the life out of us, and it will cost us more than we're willing to pay. Never underestimate it. Never act like we, we are not susceptible to it. Number one, we must be alert to our capacity because if David blew it, any one of us can blow it. But number two, if we're going to make a comeback, not only must we be alert to our capacity, but number two, we need to be aware of the consequences there's consequences when we blow it, aren't there? I mean, we learned that as a kid, that there's consequences when we make mistakes. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I learned as a kid. There are consequences when you make a mistake. I, one of the random times I remember my mom just losing it was when I was in elementary school. I've got an older brother. He was in the Boy Scouts. And I don't know why I remember this little fact of the story but we were driving someplace, and my brother's friends from the Boy Scouts were with us, and we had, back in those days, the Ford LTD station wagon. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's about as long as the stage is wide. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it's a giant car, and when you ran out of places to sit, there was the trunk, right, that you could actually put people in. So, like the hatch or whatever, hatchback. And so that was my spot growing up. Whenever we had a lot of folks in the car, I, I called the trunk, right? So... I remember my brother's friends were in the car. I'm riding in the trunk. I'd gotten bored, to be honest with you. I'd, I'd done everything I know to do. I'd written all the, the silly little notes, help, I've been kidnapped, and held that up to the window. And I did this number to all the truckers driving by, trying to get them to honk. And, you know, I'd run out of stuff to do. And then I, when I got bored, I started looking around. And I saw that one of my brother's friends who's sitting in the back seat has his arm over the back seat, and he's got his little pinky dangling into my space in the trunk. Now, when you're a kid, you have invisible lines of your space, don't you? At least I did. And I was going to protect my space. So I'm looking around, and I see his pinky dangling into the trunk in clear violation of my space. And so I start looking around, and my dad was a military guy for 37 years, so he was Mr. Disaster Preparedness Guy. And so I'm looking around. There's all the stuff in the trunk, and one of the things that's there is jumper cables. Now, I'm not talking about the, hey, these are on sale at AutoZone jumper cables. I'm talking about like 15-foot, giant gauge, giant clip jumper cables. And so my bright idea was to take one of those clips, squeeze it, and then, then clamp it onto this kid's pinky. No lie, he screamed like a little schoolgirl. He's like, ah! My mom pulls the car over. She comes around to the back of the car. She opens the trunk, and she, I, I, let me just say, I've heard of timeout as punishment, but not knockout. You see, I mean, 
I was in trouble, right? There are consequences. This kid had a big old blood blister. It was not pretty. It was bad. We've all been there in some way or another, haven't we? I mean, and now for many of you that are parents and grandparents, you've switched roles. You've become the person that says all the silly things that your parents said to you when you were a kid. I can't tell you how many times as a kid my mom asked the dumbest rhetorical question. She's like, do you want a whipping? Is that a real question? Has there ever been a kid on the planet that said, I would like a spanking today? It has been too many days since I've been disciplined. Or then she'd say, you just wait till your dad gets home. And then my dad would come home. And do you remember the sound of a belt coming off? I mean, that'll put fear in you when you hear. (laughs) Or in my dad's case, it's more like. big guy and then the dumbest thing i ever heard is this is gonna hurt me more than it hurts you and i'm like well let's swap roles then let me do the uh, seems like a fair plan to me but you learn about consequences right we learn that there are consequences and so for david david lived out the consequences was david still on the throne yes was he still the king yes but internally something was broken inside of him I mean, if you read Psalm 51, you read about the consequences. Let me just show you a few of these. Listen to what he says in Psalm 51. Again, in verse 1, he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Listen to this last phrase. Blot out my transgressions. Listen to these words in verse 2. He says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Listen to verse 7. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Listen to verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. One of the consequences is, yes, he's still the king, and yes, he's still on the throne, but internally, he feels dirty. He feels soiled. He feels like, God, there's no way. Here, let me show you another one. Look at verse 3. He says in verse 3, For I know my transgression and my sin... My sin is ever before me. One of the consequences is he felt dominated by that sin over and over and over and over again. He kept living that out. God, it's in front of me. God, it's in front of me. I can't get past it. I can't get past it. Another consequence is he felt great difficulty. In verse 8, he says, Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. This is a, a, an artistic way of describing what he's feeling. He's not saying, God, you physically broke my bones. He's not saying, God, you did a WWE smackdown and came off the top rope on me. But what he is describing is internally, I feel like something is broken. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He felt disgusting. He felt depressed. He's like, God, there's no way it can be good again. And I don't know if you've been here. But man, if we're going to make a comeback, number one, we've got to be alert. Any of us could blow it. Number two, when we do, there are going to be consequences. Consequences are real. But number three, we can activate the comeback. We can activate the comeback. I love what Pastor Tripp says to our teenagers. He says, and I'm just going to paraphrase it, but he says, no matter how many, how long you've been walking away from God, no matter how many steps you've been taking in the wrong direction, it only takes one step to start moving back closer to Him. And I think that's so true. 
and we can activate the comeback. It can be good again. It can be God can still use you because here's what David says in verse 1, according to your loving kindness. He still knows that God loves him. He still knows that God can use him. He still knows that, that God can redeem any situation and he can do that in you. In fact, if you're a note taker, I want to give you just some reminders this morning that I want you to remind yourself of this week. I want you to look over them each day. I want you to have them either on your phone or maybe on your mirror, or maybe on the dashboard of your car that you can be reminded of. But here's the first reminder of the comeback. Your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. Your biggest sins, your biggest failures are not too big for the grace of God. He still loves you. He's not wringing his hands. He's not like, man, I, I, I thought I could forgive all sins, but I didn't know he was going to do that. No. His grace is still bigger. Here's the second reminder. You are not what you've done. You are not what you've done. You are who God says you are. You're not what, what happens is if we're not careful, we forget that sin is an event. It's not a person. If we're not careful, we allow some failure to become the label of our whole life. And David instead comes to God and comes clean and says, God, against you and you only have I sinned. Had he sinned against other people? Absolutely. Against the nation, against the soldiers, against uh, the wife, against the commander, against uh, certainly Uriah. He had sinned against a lot of people. But the thing that broke his heart is that he had broken the heart of his God. And he had to learn sin is an event, not a person. So A... Man, your, your biggest sins aren't too big for God. B, you are not what you've done. You are who God says you are. And here's the last reminder. You can't change your past, but God can and will change your future. You can't change your past. You can't, there, you can't undo those things. There's no magic undo button in our life. I wish there was, but there's not. You can't change your past, but if you'll submit it to God, if you'll turn from it, God can and God will shape your future we learn from david's life every saint has a past but every sinner has a future and in david's life here's what boggles my mind is some of the greatest days of david's life were on the other side of his comeback and i want to say to every single one of us in this room today and even watching online if you're in need of a comeback you're positioned in the right place for God to restore you and for the best days to yet be in front of you if you allow him. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Would you close your eyes? And man, I want to pray for us because I believe deep down in my bones that if God can restore David, he can restore you. If God can use David, God can absolutely use you. There's no sin that you've committed in your past that's too great for the grace of God. You can't change it. You can't undo it. But the power of the risen Jesus, he can and will shape your future. As I pray for us this morning, is there anybody this morning that would just say, Bobby, pray for me because I'm in need of a comeback. I'm in a situation. I'm in a moment. I'm, I just need that moment of clarity, that moment of honesty. Would you pray for me? I am in need of a comeback and you'd allow me to pray for you. Would you just slip your hands straight up in the air, straight up in the air?
anybody else, you just say, pray for me. I need that. I need that. If that's you, as I pray, I want to invite you, as I pray out loud, to pray for you to pray silently in your head and your heart. Maybe you just want to do what David did. David said, purify me and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Maybe you just want to confess that this morning. Dear Jesus, man, I know that I've sinned and I've broken your heart. Just tell him what that is. God, I didn't see it coming. I didn't plan to do it. I never started out that path, but God, would you forgive me? God, would you cleanse me? God, would you help me to put my past behind me? could be this morning that there's never been a moment that you've put your faith or your trust in Jesus and that's absolutely where comebacks start because it's not something we can orchestrate ourselves it's something that Christ does in and through us and so it starts with that that admission that I need him that invitation I want to know him so if that's never happened for you I would invite you to pray this part of the prayer with me it's not the words it's the heart behind it that makes a difference but something along these lines of dear Jesus I know I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. But I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and save me. Would you create a comeback in me? moment I'm going to finish praying and after I finish praying I'm just going to invite you to prayerfully and worshipfully stand with us and before we leave before we move before we do anything else I want us to lift up our voices or even if you're not a singer for you to think about these words because there's an element of this comeback where we realize I can't do this but I know that he can and I know that he can do it in me because he's the one that beat death the one that offers this extravagant grace he's the one that paid the price that he didn't owe because i couldn't pay it myself father we give this time to you we pray in this morning that there would be comebacks we pray that there'd be hope today we pray that there'd be life today that we would come back to you and it's in jesus name we pray Let's quietly, reverently stand together. And as we stand, the team's going to lead us. Would you lift up these words this morning? So powerful who paid it all.